0: I am grateful for this honor that the Society has bestowed on me this evening. Thank you, Sharon, for your kind words of presentation. Besides our President, I want to thank the Board of Governors for choosing me for this prestigious award. Knowing the many previous recipients of this award, the men and women who have served the Society and the Church so well in the canonical ministry, I am truly humbled. This evening, I have been placed in the company of some of the great servants of the church. I also want to thank the Vincentians, my religious community. While my provincial could not be here, Tom Anslow, my confrere and member of the society is here to share this with me. Through my various assignments, both in this country and overseas, I have had wonderful and challenging experiences. This year I'm celebrating 40 years of priesthood. All of these years have been related to the study and the ministry of canon law in some fashion. My membership in the Canon Law Society of America has been instrumental in my canonical formation. I owe a great deal to the women and men of this society who have supported me, challenged me, assisted me, and most importantly, befriended me over the years. While I was indeed speechless when told I had been chosen for this award, unfortunately for you, my friends, I have fully recovered. I would like to take just a few minutes to reflect on some of my experiences of canonical ministry and to suggest some areas for your future consideration. As you know, I have spent most of my ministry teaching canon law. I love teaching. It is such a rewarding experience. I have taught seminarians and deacon candidates in preparation for ordination. And in recent years, lay men and women in preparation for professional ministry and other laity in parish enrichment programs. I can tell you without equivocation that our people love canon law. Well, maybe not the first hour or the first day, but as soon as they get the relationship between theology and law and understand the purpose and role of law in the church, they are hungry for more. My students always love to study rights in the church. They don't know that the people of God have any. They want to know about the protection of rights and the processes available for resolving conflicts. My students study the law on the sacraments with great interest. They hone in on the role of parents in the education of their children and in the preparation of their children for sacraments. Of course, they have questions. That is always the fun part of teaching, the questions. Recently, I had a student ask with all innocence, I think, do priests study this canon law also? How come my pastor tells me such and such is the law of the church when it is not? I think we need a renewal of canonical education in the church of this country. I have heard it said that people are not interested in canon law, it's a big yawn for them. Not so, my friends. I would like to see more programs of continuing education for priests and deacons and diocesan-wide programs for the laity, those in ministry, and others. Some dioceses have such programs. Others might follow suit. Of course, there will be consequences for having an educated laity in our dioceses and in our parishes. They will ask questions. They will not accept answers that are not based on the law and the teachings of the church. My experience has taught me that we need more canonical scholarship. I direct this challenge to our society and to you, its members. The professors in our schools of canon law do a wonderful job in this regard but they cannot do it all. We need more research and more publications addressing the pressing needs of the church. For example, marriage laws, rights in the church, the proper use of Canon 223, paragraph two, penal procedures, ecumenism, internal forum, dioceses and bankruptcy law, just to name a few areas. We are all too busy, but if we wish to contribute the development of our science, we need to spend time and energy on research. Some of the questions do not require extensive writing, but short expositions based on solid research. This society may take a leadership role in directing this kind of study and publishing results, if not on paper, at least on its website. In the last five years or so, much of my ministry has been in advocacy of those accused of misconduct or who have various conflicts with their bishops or religious superiors. As the advocate, I am invited into the life of the priests and religious who humbly share their story with me. I am often the first person with whom the accused can share their trauma, their fear, and even their hope for healing. It is a very special ministry and one that I cherish. Over the years, I have become painfully aware that our laws concerning the rights of the faithful and of the clergy can be seemingly set aside all too quickly. The natural right of knowing our accusers and the accusations seem of little consequence sometimes. The right to canonical counsel itself can be the object of a conflict. The canonical right to one's privacy and good reputation seems in some cases to be trumped by civil law concerns of liability. The diocesan cleric's right to sustenance seems too often to be an issue that must be battled over. Some clergy are called to a meeting and presented with the fact of an accusation. They are not prepared to make a response but are often encouraged to do so. They have no one to assist them. They are pressured to resign their canonical office and sent on their way. This is not the process outlined in our law. Our canonical system is based on the naming, fostering, and safeguarding the rights of the members of our church. This was one of the 10 principles mandated to guide the revision of our code. We as canonists must do all we can to educate our superiors about these rights and to fight for the protection of these rights, even of those guilty of the accusations leveled against them. Natural justice and canonical procedures teach us the proper way to handle these difficult situations. I fear that because of the high emotions surrounding some of these issues, We are willing to set aside or disregard some of the norms that are in our legal system. There are dire consequences to this. In his play, A Man for All Seasons about the great jurist and St. Thomas More, Robert Bolt has a powerful scene addressing this very issue. Young Roper is exasperated because Sir Thomas would not arrest Richard Rich, a sycophant and somewhat dangerous man. Moore says that he has broken no law. Roper says that Rich has sinned against God's law. Then he asks Thomas Moore if he thinks man's law is above God's. Moore replies, no, far below. But let me draw your attention to a fact, I'm not God. The currents and eddies of right and wrong which you find such plain sailing, I I can't navigate. I'm no voyager. But in the thickets of the law, oh, there I'm a forester. I doubt if there's a man alive who could follow me there, thank God. Roper then avows that he would cut down all the laws in England to get at the devil. Moore retorts, and when the last law was down and the devil turned round on you, where would you hide the laws all being flat? This country's planted thick with laws from coast to coast. Man's laws, not God's. And if you cut them down, you'd really think you could stand upright in the winds that would blow then. I worry that sometimes our laws are being cut down, disregarded, and set aside in order that we punish the alleged wrongdoer more quickly and occasionally even more harshly. If this be true, We are violating the very foundations of our legal system and having sown the wind, we will reap the whirlwind. I firmly believe that both Bishop or religious superior, the victim and the accused all benefit when all of our norms on rights and procedures are scrupulously followed. Only then, can we be ensured that justice is done? This morning in his masterful presentation, Tom Green reminded us of the role that the Canon Law Society played in shaping the revised code of Canon Law and in contributing to the development of canonical and theological understanding of numerous topics. Today, our church has the same need for our careful study and thoughtful reflection on many topics, especially the protection of rights in the church. A canonist is, after all, a minister of justice. The canonist not only defends and seeks justice, but even gives justice her own image. I have tried to be a person of justice over these years. In receiving this award tonight, I will rededicate myself to this ministry. I conclude by reminding ourselves of the compelling words of the prophet Micah. This is what Yahweh asks of you. Only this, to act justly, to love tenderly, And to walk humbly with your God. It would be helpful if this verse were hanging over the door of every tribunal, every pastoral center, and every office of religious superiors. Again, I thank you for this recognition of my canonical ministry. May God bless us all.